0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses. Uh, This morning, if you're visiting Christ Church, my name's Mark. I'm one of the ministers here at the church. We're glad you're with us. As you've heard explained, we're beginning a new series this morning, and I'm really excited about it because I think it's a series that all of us will have interest in because what we're going to focus on in this concept of real-life wisdom are five things that I think everybody's looking for. The first is trust. What do we put our trust in? The second is faith. We're going to look at self-control, humility, and what is Justice. We're going to look at those from the things that God wants to give us and what God's told us about those through this letter that a man named James wrote. Uh, let me tell you, let's read verse one and we'll get the introduction, uh, introductory material taken care of. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So who is this James? Well, I believe he's the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, And that you'll see James not mentioned, but you'll see moments where James is involved in Jesus' ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the equivalent of all of that is to say that James did not get Jesus. He thought he'd lost his mind. He tried to force him to go to Jerusalem and prove he was the Messiah before the time was right. James didn't get his brother. And then Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to James in the resurrection. And James goes from being a doubter to a believer. And he plays a prominent role in the book of Acts, that in the council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, it's James that's leading that. Not Peter, not Paul, not the other disciples. It's James, the brother of Jesus. And he has a prominent role and he understood who Jesus was. He writes one of the letters that were sent out, but they weren't sent to a specific church in a particular town. These would be letters that would be copied and circulated to all believers. Whenever a believer came in contact with another, they would share this message from James in Jerusalem. The letters just like that in the New Testament are Hebrews, 1 and 2 Peter, and Jude. Letters written to be passed around. And these letters all have two basic uh, themes that the early Christians were facing, persecution and false doctrine. And James is addressing these issues by talking about, in one of the first letters written in the New Testament... Talking to the early church about what it would look like to live out wise lives. In the face of persecution and false doctrine, what does following Jesus look like each and every day? One of the most practical letters people say often, this is one of my favorite letters in the in the or books in the New Testament. I'd like to define wisdom as we go forward this way. Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. We're wise when we see life from God's point of view and we respond. Now, normally when you get a letter, we look and we'll see a return uh, address on a letter. Now, just yesterday, something funny happened. I was out. I was in my own personal heaven. I was listening to a baseball game on my lawnmower cutting my yard. It was just like my own personal space, and I love that moment. And Heather came out of the house holding an envelope in her hand, and she waved at me to, to shut the mower down. So I turned off the blades, and I shut the mower down. I took my headphones off, and she handed me this card. And she had a look on her face that made me, like, suspicious she said read this and I thought who's it from and she said read it I said but who who's it from do you you know is it a good letter is it a bad letter and she's like read it well she what she doesn't understand is I don't want this to appear to be whining but every now and then when you're the minister of a church you get letters that's less than complimentary let's just put it that way (laughs) And so long, I mean, you would think within the church it would be about love, but normally it's about what an idiot I am and how I should find something new to do with my life. Now, since I moved here, y'all are a lot nicer than where I came from. But anyway, um, so what Heather doesn't understand is after about two years of ministry, I made a rule given to me by a guy that mentored me that the first thing I do is if the letter is not signed, I I won't read it. I just throw it away. And because there's no way to make peace. There's no way to seek forgiveness. There's, there's no way to have an adult conversation if someone's just firing you unsigned letters. You get it, right? I hope that doesn't come across as a whine. So what I wanted to find out was, did my wife just read a, read a letter from someone telling me I need to find a new job? And she's like, read it. Well, anyway, I read it. It was a nice letter. It was something we both laughed about, and I went back to my own personal uh, heaven. But when you read James letter. It's one of those letters that's startling. He opens and says, this is who I am. And then verse two, he says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. What? That's how you open a letter. No pleasantries. No, I hope things are going well. How's the wife and kids? No, it's this. Life's going to be really hard. I hope you're taking it well. Oh, I'd put that letter right with those unsigned letters. and would be like, yeah, yeah, later, dude. I don't need this. But this is how James begins. And he he opens in verse three by saying, because you know, that's a key phrase for James, because your attitude is determined by your understanding. Your actions is determined by your understanding. The, The way you live your life will be based on what you know to be true. That's why we're beginning this first chapter with the word trust and understanding it. You see, as a pastor, I I need you to know that you do need to understand some things so that you're not led by every trend and by feelings. Feelings are good, but feelings are not the way you can live your life. You can't live your entire life eating pizza because it feels good. You have to make some adult decisions every now and then based on nutrition and other things that would be of value to you. And so James opens right away by saying, James writes the letter because it would have been on a scroll or parchment. So they would write who wrote it up front so you would know. And then he goes right in. He says, if your life is hard, if you face difficulties, I hope you're finding joy. Because he's going to give us some realities we need to know. Here's the first one. Difficulties are inevitable. That's what James tells us right there in verse 2. Whenever, not if, when you face trials. It reminds us of the words of Jesus in John 16, He told his disciples, and he wasn't embarrassed of this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus wanted the disciples to know that when we followed him and we pursued the path of holiness in today's world, in his world, in any world, when we live outside of God's will and we've jacked this world up and we've made choices that have ruined things for everybody... He says, it's going to be difficult. So when you face trials, he said, remember, I'm the one who overcomes the world, not you. He wasn't making fun of that of us. What he was saying was, you have not been empowered by God to fix everything in your own might, by your own strength. You haven't been empowered to do that. You've been given the opportunity through Jesus Christ to make those differences. I read this, and I thought it was funny. And one service did, one service didn't. So you're the tiebreaker. Here we go. <clears throat> Everyone is a problem. Everyone has a problem or everyone lives with a problem. There you go. Good. All right. I knew it was funny. Okay. So, difficulties are inevitable. Second of all, difficulties are unpredictable. Verse 2, whenever you face problems. Now, the Greek word that's translated in this particular uh, version, the word face in the Greek literally means to fall into unexpectedly. It's the same word that Jesus used in the story of the Good Samaritan when he said the man fell among thieves. So it's not only inevitable, it's unpredictable. Trials cannot be planned, but your reactions to them can. How you choose to react when things don't go perfectly the way you want them to is something you can choose, and it's an important choice. So they're inevitable, they're unpredictable, and thirdly, difficulties are varied. (coughs) Excuse me. I get this in verse 2 when it says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, and I'm told the English translation of many kinds means multicolored. There's a difference in variety, intensity, and duration. And God uses these things to change us. So they're inevitable, unpredictable, and varied, and here's what's produced when we go through difficult times. And I want to pause here. I'm not throwing rocks at people that aren't in this room, but I want to... I take away this myth in America that God's ultimate goal in life is that you're happy, wealthy, and healthy. It's not true. Because if, if that's true, he owes Jesus an apology. He was none of those things. And yet he was the son of God, blessed by God and called by God. So here's why God allows us to go through difficulties, whether they're self-imposed or others-imposed. They purify our faith. He says in verse 3 that the testing of your faith, the word testing is a word that Peter would also use in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he talks about being refined by the fire, that we're put in circumstances to draw out of us things that never should have been in us, the impurities. The the way I think of it this way, and and I'm curious, uh, let me know if you've experienced this. If you've had the blessing of God to have a child, have you ever had moments in life when you watched your child behave poorly And the thought that came to your mind was, of all the things in the world to get from me, why did you get that? Am I the only parent or has anybody else experienced that? Okay. There's attitudes in both of my boys show and I think, man, I mean, I have two good things in me and they didn't get either one of those. They got that. And I wish I hadn't given it to them. What God's trying to do in difficulties is take things out of us that he never desired were in us. Second thing, they demand Patience. He says in verse three, it develops perseverance. The ability, and I'm I'm told the Greek word there means the ability to stay under pressure. We don't like pressure. We don't like stress. It's not a natural thing for us. So we learn to run from it. We learn to pretend it doesn't exist. We, We try to drink it away or drug it away or have relationships or spend it away. We work really, really hard to get ourselves out of anything unpleasant. And sometimes that makes sense, but sometimes it's the worst thing we can do. So God uses problems to teach us things. I came up with a list of things that make me feel most pressured. And in those pressure, I have no patience and I show no perseverance. So here's the list of things that I came up with. Range line. <laughs> and that's just one. I could go all day, but you get it. When people are, act like people, I have a hard time being patient. And yet it's not like Jesus. And so <laughs> probably not like a pastor most of the time. And so It's awkward. It also defines our character. Under Pressure defines and shows you, yourself, who you really are, who you allow yourself to become, verse four. But you must learn to endure everything so that you will be completely mature and not lacking in anything. So not only does God draw things out of us in difficulties, he enters things back into us in exchange. So the process of difficulties is not just a curse, It's one of the challenges God uses to change us. Let me put it simply this way. The Christian life is about building character, not about building comfort. And so God allows us to go to difficulties because he wants to build our character, not just make our life easy and comfortable. If you want anything in life to have value, it's going to take hard work. It's going to take effort. It's just not going to be easy. There's no relationship that just happens that's so custom-made that it just takes no effort. Anything worth having is going to take hard work and commitment. Or let me put it this way. If God is going to make you and I like Jesus, he's going to put us through the same things he put Jesus through. And we should expect no less. So in this message, I'm going to give you two suggestions, twice during the message, right now and then at the very end of some exercises that you and I can do to build these things called trust and faith. So let's begin with exercises to work out your trust. James tells me in my reading of this to choose joy, to worship through it, is the easiest way to say that, is to worship God in spite of my circumstances, not because of them, is to choose joy. He says, my friends, this is a different translation, contemporary English version. My friends, be glad even if you have a lot of trouble, Rick Warren once said, we don't rejoice for the problem, we rejoice in the problem. That's when the testimony of a believer has the most impact in the community is when our light shines when everybody should expect our light to go out. So we worship through it. He says, consider it all joy. So it's the Olympic season. So let me default to a sports analogy. If Michael Phelps thinks that because he's Michael Phelps, nobody else in the pool is going to give their best effort, He's a fool. And the reason that he's won as much as he's won is he's incredibly talented, he's incredibly dedicated, and he doesn't go into any race thinking it's going to be easy. Or if I can simplify it, a football player who thinks they're going to be allowed to run the ball and never get knocked down shouldn't be playing football. And a Christian who believes following Jesus is going to be met with parades, support, and nothing but encouragement Encouragement will not make it to the finish line because we are running in the opposite direction of our opponents and they are trying to take us out. So this is the challenge. When life gets hard, you make the choice in advance to worship through it because wisdom is seeing things from God's viewpoint, not just what I desire, not just what I want, the second thing we can choose is choose submission. We rely on his understanding rather than our own. I said it earlier. Let me reiterate. One of the things as a pastor that I have to do scripturally is show you that you can't rely on trends and feelings. You have to rely on what God has said. James 1.5. If any of you need wisdom, is that you? It is me. If any of you need wisdom, you should ask God and it will be given to you. God is generous and won't correct you for asking. So why should I pray for wisdom? So I don't waste the opportunity to grow. Because I think I can say this, at least in my own experience. I believe that if I avoid circumstances that God has put me in to try to grow me, he will bring me back to them. It will be like running a drill in any sport I've ever coached. If the players don't do it the way I want them to do it, we're going to run the drill until they do because I may not be able to perform athletically as well as them, but I know what they're supposed to do. And God says, no, no, I'm going to show you that I'm going to keep you in this circumstance till you learn the valuable lesson that makes your character grow, and we purge from you things you don't need. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, probably since I was a little kid, when when anybody asks me what's a passage that I rely on, being the hard-headed person I am, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is what I'll land on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. What I love about this passage is God's doing all the work. All I have to do is trust Him. All I have to do is know what the Lord has said and put it into practice. Because wisdom is seeing from God's point of view what He's choosing to do. So, why is this important? James tells us why it's important that even in difficulties, we choose to trust. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. I'm told that the word double-minded that's translated in the English is actually the Greek expression of two souls, or someone who's two-souled. S-O-U-L-E-D. It's a person who has one soul they're feeding one thing and another soul they're trying to feed another thing and wondering why they're unstable and imbalanced. And I don't know about you, but I've made those choices. There have been seasons in my life that I tried to live Monday through Saturday to build my own kingdom and on Sunday to build his, and it doesn't work. James says you can't do that. You have to choose who you trust. Trust the kingdom builder of your own name, Or the kingdom builder named Jesus who's building a kingdom that will last forever and the enemy can't take it down. Verse 7, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. God will not barter with us for our attention. God will not, uh, he will not, his jealousy won't allow him to sit by while you serve another God and then try to serve him or love him or worship him. He deserves it all. And so James says, we can't be double-souled. We can't be double-minded. And God gives us wisdom through our faith. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So it says that the God who gives, and the word gives is continuous. It's, it's a form of language that says, now and then and in the future. So it's a God who gives continually, a God who gives generously, and a God who gives because he wants to. I love it, without finding fault. God's not in heaven going, okay, you keep asking, here, go to your room. No, it's a God who loves to give. And here's the good news, and this is what we don't know about our God, or we don't think to live it out, that God is not a God who doesn't want to bless us unless we're inconvenient or we've been good. God wants to bless us all the time. The thing that keeps us from being blessed is our own choices. It's not that God will only bless us when we've done everything we should have done. No, he blesses us every day, continuously, from his heart, and willingly, without finding fault. So, let's pause a second. I need you to just answer a question in your own heart. Where do you need wisdom right now? Where... Are you facing a decision? And the truthful answer is, I don't know what I'm to do. Sometimes it may be two good opportunities. Sometimes it may be something that's pressuring you. But where do you need God's wisdom? Because this is what we're told to do here. Submit your need. If anyone lacks wisdom, James says. So you submit your need. Now, I know, and I'd like to to dispel a myth uh, as, a, as a preacher, people come up to me and, and they'll say to me, will you pray for this for me? Absolutely. But what I want to say to them is, I'll pray for it if you'll pray for it. Because there's this myth that when I go into my study each morning to have my morning time of prayer with the Lord, that the, the ceiling opens and God floats down and sits in a chair next to me with, and I'm sharing with him my favorite cup of tea. And, and God looks at me and says, you're amazing. At least that's how I picture it. anyway, that's how I picture you picture it, you know? And so, and he's sitting there and God says to me, Mark, I'm going to tell you three things no one's ever thought. Use it on Sunday. And so you all think, well, if the preacher prays for it, then I don't need to pray for it. Let me tell you what my prayer life is really like. It always sounds like this. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do Next. All these people are relying on me. They think I'm something I know I'm not. What in the world am I doing? God, help me. And I figure if I start my prayers that way, I'm pretty biblical. It, it stopped me from giving God 17 things he needed to do this week to make my life easier. It actually became, God, someone's going to call me today and their life's going to be a wreck. And I'm going to say something that sounds smart and it's going to be horrible. I need you to speak through me to teach me what to say. James says, if you, have, if you lack wisdom, ask. Remember, I don't know if you've heard this, but wisdom is seeking God's point of view. It's seeing life that way. You see, the world's impressed by knowledge. I know people who know a lot of facts about God who have never had a personal experience with him. The world loves knowledge. God desires wisdom. Second thing we do is we ask for Wisdom. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God. So I need to ask you, where do you get your wisdom? Oprah? Presidential candidates? Oh, no, 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 the wise ones of the day, news commentators. Oh, absolutely not. Is it found in a degree? No. Is it found in a preacher? No. It's found in the Word of God. And you must go to God before you go to man. Because man will give you something that sounds like knowledge, but it can't give you wisdom. So James said, if you lack wisdom, ask. I don't know if you know this, but at least 20 times in the New Testament, we're told to ask God for what we need. Now, of course, you know, I've, I need to say this, but I really don't. I'll say it anyway, because I do a lot of that. If you're asking God for a new pickup truck, that's not what you need, that's what you want. You're asking God for a new partner or a new relationship. You may need to ask God, is that what you need or is that what you want? Because God will give you what you need. Because when I say to God, and I really don't, but if I'd say to God, I want a brand new pickup truck. God would go, I'd rather give you wisdom. I'd rather give you forgiveness. I'd rather give you mercy. And Mark, holy smoke, I'd rather give you compassion. I'd rather give you compassion than a new pickup. So when we ask, Proverbs 2, 6, it is the Lord who gives wisdom. From him comes knowledge and understanding. Notice that those two are separated. Hmm. James 4.2, you have not because you ask not. That's pretty clear. Live expectantly. Verse 6, when you pray, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. This is where asking for what we want versus what we need is where our doubt should come in. Uh, I, I was told this, this just hit me, I didn't think of it the other two services, it just hit me now. I remember something I learned as a kid from my grandpa, and that is, if it's God's will, it's God's problem. If the Lord says he wants me to have this, it's his problem to get it to me. It's, it's my issue to receive it. But do we believe in a God, if it's his will, it's his problem? I do. So when you pray, you say, God, I need to forgive here, and forgiveness is hard, and I don't know how to do it. God, would you teach me how to do that? And he will. I believe in that with 100% of what I am. So we look at this. Remember, James 1, 6 says, He who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So let's let's head to our conclusion this morning by talking about some exercises to work this out in faith. We saw what, what James told us we need to do to trust God. And now how do we choose to live that out? First of all, choose God's wisdom. Make it a matter of stability. Because we don't want to be tossed here and there by every fad, every feeling, every disagreement. We want God's wisdom and we have to choose it. We have to choose to trust it is what James is telling us. So when life gets difficult, choose to trust that God is going to be there even when you don't know he's there. Even when you feel removed. I love Psalm 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who follow his precepts have good understanding. Now, I know some of you have been traveling for the summer, and and there was the non-contact week for sports, so a lot of people were getting their vacation in. But about two weeks ago, in our message, we talked about what fear is. And fear is not just afraid that God will crush us. It's knowing he can. You know you fear the Lord when you realize who he is and who you're not. When I, when I spend time reading the Scriptures, knowing who God is, He's wise and I'm not. He's all-powerful and I'm powerless. He's holy and I'm impure. And that's not to make me feel bad, but it's to make me love Him more. And when I fear Him, then it says, and those who follow His precepts will gain understanding. Remember what we learned two or three weeks ago, and that is this. If you truly fear the Lord, obedience is your only option. You don't obey because you're scared to go to hell. You obey because you want to be closer to Him. When we know that He's God and we're not, the fear of the Lord drives us into Him, not away from Him. And so it says here that stability is found in being connected to who God is. And I think I'm learning this more and more every day. When you become connected with God, it will draw you into His kingdom, not away from it. You won't become disconnected from the work God's doing in the world when you understand who He is. You want to get in on it. And this is where being double sold is a complication. When you're trying to build your kingdom versus building God's kingdom, then you're not building either kingdom well. And so it's, James tells us to choose God's wisdom, to lean in. Secondly, choose God's direction, because God's wisdom is found in God's word. It doesn't say pray and ask God to make decisions for you, He wants you to make decisions, but based on His wisdom. He wants you to open the Word of God and read it. He wants you to trust that the book's not old-fashioned, that God's rules are not antiquated, that he's not slipped into senility. Now, God's alive and active, and he's changing lives all over the world. We heard that last week when we heard the story of some Japanese men that began to be discipled and to disciple and to make more disciples, and we saw that it's working all over the globe. Proverbs 4, 5 says, Get wisdom, get understanding, Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Get wisdom. Get understanding. And that's found in the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the will of God. It's crystal clear. Now, just studying the Bible is not going to change your life. But studying the Bible and living it out wisely will. This is why James writes. He's writing to a group of people that were persecuted and under great pressure. And and there was false doctrine entering the church. And James is crying out, saying, get into the word of God, listen to the word of God, obey the word of God, and see what happens. So I'd like to conclude this morning by asking you all some questions. Feel free to respond, but answer for yourself. Don't answer because people in the room think you ought to. Do you believe that God is good to you? Do you believe that God has always been faithful to you and never abandoned you? Do you believe that even when the answer to your prayer is no? Do you believe that Jesus I went through this question really fast and someone interrupted me right in the middle. I said, "Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and and this lady last hour went, "Yep?" And I thought that's a great answer. So let's start there. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for you? And do you believe He did that to teach you how to truly live? Do you believe that the word of God still works? And do you believe you need to know more of it so you understand more of his wisdom? And we're exactly where the Lord needs us to be. Some of us have never taken a knee before God and said, I give my life to you because I've made a mess of it and my sin is keeping me from drawing close to my creator. And yet some of us have and we've walked away with two souls. That's why he says you have to come and die You have to take up your cross to follow him. You have to end your kingdom building to be involved in his kingdom building. And therein begins the life of wisdom based on trust. And that's the king we worship and that's the king we serve. And our trust is our worship. Real life wisdom begins with, do you trust that God is good? Can God be trusted with your life and will you give it to him? Some of you are facing massive decisions this week. That has weighed on me for the last two weeks. I've had people come to me at the prayer station today and tell me. I've had two different people walk up to me and say, the sermon was for me today. And I said, no, it wasn't. It was for me. And you got the rebound. And one said, I found out I have cancer this week. Another person said, I almost walked out of my marriage this week, but I'm going to stay and fight. God is working in this place. He knew we'd be talking about James and he's prepped your heart for this. If you have a heavy decision or a decision that you need wisdom on and you want us to join you in praying for that, come to the prayer station. You can come as we begin to sing or you can wait till the end of the service. A number of us will be out there to meet with you. We want to journey with you. I am praying the same prayer. God, I need wisdom to know what to do. If you want someone to journey with you, we we beg you, come pray with us. Or write it down on a piece of paper. As Peter said, we will meet this week and we will pray over you and we'll pray over your decision. Your decision can be made with wisdom. God will give you the wisdom. That's what we want you to know today. Do we trust Him? Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com